Welcome to another episode of the brand called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, I am privileged to welcome a very, very accomplished and senior professional from the social sector, Libby Johnson, to our show. Libby, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Libby is the executive director of Gram Vikas. And he's an expert in entrepreneurship pr- promotion for the UNDP. So let me tell me, what would you say are three key milestones in your career or your life? I guess uh, I grew up uh, in a village in Kerala. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as I was in Kerala, my grandfather, my paternal mm-hmm. grandfather was with me. And uh, now I realize a lot of the things that I have done or continue to believe in hmm. is actually a contribution from him I mean, very okay. silent contributions but uh, the way he trusted people and uh, you know kind of very very open trust and uh, mm-hmm. which, which which i tend to practice but it's it's very difficult correct and the other one was his uh, his ability to do good without others knowing okay uh, end up realizing particularly after he passed away and the way my grandmother would recollect stories and she would be upset because mm. he would have done, given away something and right. he would have come to know it much later. But then the person who benefited from it, mm. you know, would come back and tell us how how timely that support was. And Amazing. But th- those are two things about him that have continued to influence me. I didn't realize it for a long time. Mm. So, but but that, now I realize it's, it's, it was quite been a, one of the most important pillars on which my uh, life view has been uh, very interesting. Been. The second was uh, uh, I, you know, academically kind of moved into economics because I thought development economics is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it was, it was too theoretical and um, mm-hmm. a call for ap- admission to the Institute of Rural Management came in. This was midway through my master's in economics and mm-hmm. I gave up that and went to Irma. Where I found... Uh, the, the, the kind of environment that helped me understand the reality around me much mm. better. And very, very, very exciting two years. And I think the greatest benefit from that was also I found my partner and uh, the, my best friend and guide and the person who keeps me sane around all this, Jaya, my wife. Okay. Uh, so Irma experience was in, you know, professionally and personally one of the key mm. milestones in my life. And I think the third I would refer to three people I worked with in the development mm-hmm. sector. My first job was with an organization called Aditi in Bihar mm-hmm. in Patna, uh, run by a very old, I mean, old lady for me at that time. She was almost more than double my age then. Uh, she no more, Vijay Srinivasan, uh, a firebrand feminist and somebody who influenced my understanding of how men look at women or how women see men looking at women. Mm. You know, and and that has been a been a very very key learning for me in my professional life, also to some extent in my personal life. Joe, who's the founder of Gramvikas, who I continue to work with now, mm. and uh, the third person is Vivekanandan. Vivekanandan was from the first batch of Virma. Okay. Uh, he built this organization of uh, marine artisanal fishermen in the southern coast, and I had an opportunity to work with him for about three years. Mm-hmm. He was, in fact, his job also came first. I mean, the first job I got out of Irma was with the Federation of Fishermen Societies, but then I opted to go to Bihar and work with Viji. Mm. So I think this broad stroke of people and experiences 
and particularly the two years i spent at irma would be mm-hmm. very interesting you know, see my tones of serendipities as i like to i agree reference. i agree fascinating so libby let's talk about gram vikas tell me about this organization and the kind of work you do so gram vikas is now 42 years old formally uh, started in 1979 mm-hmm. but then this group of uh, university students from the then madras university mm-hmm. in 1971 a large group of them went to the uh, bangladesh uh, war frontier to set mm-hmm. up uh, relief camps okay. and some of them moved to odisha in october 1971 to do relief work uh, after a cyclone that had hit coastal odisha then mm-hmm. and um, a group of them stayed back continued working in uh, the coastal parts of odisha where you know economically and resource wise much more uh, advanced than the rest of odisha that we work in now in okay. 76 uh, they moved to southern odisha which was more adivasi and uh, hilly and all that mm-hmm. and then set up roots there and uh, gramikas came came out as a result of that work of mobilizing adivasi communities against some of the disadvantages Hmm. including both market and state related exploitation that they were facing okay at that time uh, gramikas has evolved and, hmm. and currently i think our work is built on this pillar of um, helping facilitating communities to build a dignified quality of life so hmm. uh, for gramikas it's important that the results of our work are felt and seen and at the same time it is you know empowering in the sense of uh, improving the individual and the community Mm. um we work very closely with the government even mm. at times when uh, most ngos have taken a you know kind of antipathetic view to working with the government and uh, we've also been i'm quite proud of the fact that we've been very very upfront and uh, in the forefront of actually using technology mm-hmm. in in rural development so uh, one of our biggest programs early on was promotion of biogas mm-hmm. and uh, building helping build about 55000 biogas plants at some point wow. across villages of odisha Amazing. and then we moved to water and sanitation and today we are looking at the new forms of technologies whether it is renewable energy or uh, information communication technologies and see how we can demystify this for the use by mm-hmm. you know regular rural men and women very interesting so you know when i was reading about you i found that you know your mission is to promote processes which are sustainable socially inclusive and gender equitable help me understand this with with an example oh heavy words of course <laughs> let me give you an example of uh, something that we've been doing quite intensively over the last 20 years mm-hmm. uh, which is to help uh, village communities uh, access better water and sanitation mm-hmm. so this we started in the mid 90s when you know swachh bharat mission or jal jeevan mission now the the flagship programs of the government were not even being thought about i mean people did not believe that rural uh, folks would build toilets and use them or tap water in villages was a possibility so we started something uh, uh, very early in the mid 90s but we said uh, it is not sufficient that this uh, uh, toilet or a bathing room which we added to that mm-hmm. or tap water should be the preserve of a few people so we we developed a, a model called mantra so it's stands for movement and action hmm. network for transformation of rural areas but basically we said if something like this has to benefit sustainably i mean as in on a long term basis everybody in the habitation has to take part hmm. because the key issue around sanitation was unsafe disposal of human 
treatment waste was leading to uh, contamination of water mm. and people were falling in so even if one person in the village continued to desiccate in the open people would never be safe from and a waterborne disease so we said it had to be everybody mm. but then came the challenge of the poorest people in the village you are asking people to build toilets and bathing rooms for themselves with some support from outside but more than 50% of the cost had to be borne by them how do we make sure that the poorest person also gets the same facility correct so that process at the end of which what happened very i mean in the early days what happened was you know you had a village of about 100 people mm. everybody has the same toilet bathing room structure I see. Right, it is quite uh, you know it looks funny at some point some sometimes but the house was a one room hovel made of thatch and mud but the toilet was concrete. I see. And everybody built drank water from the same source. Mhm. So both of this had such incidental you know effects on people's psyche and thinking that the poor person started believing more in herself when she saw that or the richest person is also using the same kind of toilet and mm. we are drinking the same water as she as they do so this i mean you know this, this is amazing this i think is the spirit of those those words and mm. um, uh, initially we only thought about the toilet but then the women came and said okay you will build the toilet we will use that and then you want us to go back to the pond to bathe mm. so then we said okay we can build a bathroom but will you be able to afford it women said yes let us try it anyway told in additional cost so mm. the eventual model that came up was with the toilet and the bathing room and whether it was biogas or in the case of this the water mm. we realized that it was a community development program but the most critical stakeholders were women because they were the ones who were saving time and effort in terms of you know whether it was gathering fuel wood or bringing water for the home so uh, you know that 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 example should kind of give you a sense very interesting and you know just moving on from there you just mentioned that you know if you can share the same toilet and you can share the same water then uh, you know equality automatically comes in because i know traditionally in i guess i don't know much about indian villages but uh, from whatever i have read the biggest challenge used to be on sharing water you know who's entitled to which water is it so let's move on what would you say have been some significant improvements in society based on what all your all the work that you're doing so i think the first would be what i just uh, stopped yeah. speaking the about toilet and water is just like no the, the the effect on women correct yeah. mm. how much how much effort and i mean women finding much better ways of using their time rather sure. than you know having to stand in line to collect water carry heavy load so yeah. that i think is is remark i mean is definitely one of the the key key, key uh, changes that we've been able to contribute mm-hmm. uh, there's been substantial improvement in the uh, hygiene outlook the sanitation outlook among mm-hmm. communities okay uh, and that, that is now generational because the first village we worked in was uh, in 1996 Mm. and now that village has a third generation that has come in and you can see the uh, if i may use the word the urban attitude towards sanitation right. there compared mm. to the rural eh? so i think that's that's something contrib- that we have been able to contribute gramikas also runs four residential schools for uh, predominantly okay. adivasi children mm-hmm. in some of the remote areas the first school mm. uh, it is now a high school was set up in 82 1982 the second one in 92 third in 98 and the third one in 2003 Hmm. and uh, last year we had the first medical doctor 
coming out from that remote area incredible uh, who went to one of the gramvika schools in 2000 in 1999 i think wow what was it 2000 ah 2000 some mid 2000 so hmm. uh, we kind of preempted government government has done substantial work but hmm. so our government has done very good work in promoting education but i think our contribution has been to create a whole generation of first time learners both both in terms of professionals as well as leaders mm. so i think these three i would summarize as, as kind of a key contribution so you know aspirationally the millennials and the gen z's from tribal india are they very similar to aspirations of any urban uh, uh, millennial oh you you got it right on dot uh, mm. aspirationally i think they are the same Mm. because um the kind of access to information and the broader world view they have uh minus the language mm. I mean, most of them don't have the capabilities in english uh, what is available in odia or in hindi people are consuming mm. and that is changing the way people look around them and think for themselves and you know that's one of the biggest challenges that we as an organization face today mm. very interesting this this is kind of growth you, and jump generations of the young isn't it fantastic and you know you've been working with a lot of the tribal communities in orissa uh, you, you know and you do you know probably getting such amazing exposure my question to you is that how have how has engaging with these communities changed your world view i have think four points to share mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. i think i learned equanimity from them mm-hmm. you know how does one remain uh, not generally cut off but while being there take time to form your view hmm. and time doesn't mean many many hours but you know the kind of process that you follow correct i've seen this communities doing in the face of huge huge adverse events hmm. you know one tends to look at it as kind of very cold attitude to life but it's not once you touch them once you understand them you realize that uh, they have a much more measured view of the world and the life around them so i think that i have learned substantially from this experience okay you know the, the balanced view of 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 things around mm-hmm. i think the second is uh, the ability to now optimize rather than maximize mm-hmm. how do you make the best of what is available because okay. i don't think my growing up in kerala or my larger exposure in the urban indian setting uh, really prepared me for that because mm-hmm. there is still a kind of a you know accumulate maximize right. thing that you live around with in many ways but mm-hmm. uh, optimizing and how to make the best of what is available mm-hmm. and finally uh, the the way you look at things around you, whether it is a tree whether it's a stream you know you know the adivasi outlook towards nature mm. which is very very you know very widely written and discussed about but the way they look at things a tree the value of it mm. being able not to reject something because it looks prima facie value based mm. so i think some of these some the, the, these are key points that i realize i have assimilated thank you and you know when you were a little while ago you were talking about using technology now uh, help me understand how are you using technology 
to improve the functioning of your organization and improving the lives of all the people you serve so even today uh, gramvikas has I mean, today gramvikas has about 260 full time uh, employees okay spread across 17 18 locations mm-hmm. in uh, odisha and one location in jharkhand about 20% of my colleagues live in areas without mobile connectivity wow mm-hmm. it's it's you know and yes. and so you can imagine the kind yeah. of population that, that yeah. is around them mm-hmm. uh, so we we over the last several years we've kind of put in every possible effort uh, kind of training people in using so we have now moved thankfully we finally been able to move our daily attendance and our administrative things onto an android app mm-hmm. and kind of found the ways in which colleagues even who live in uh, you know remote areas are able to connect to you know allow them to travel 5 kilometers so that can go twice or three no once once in two, two or three days connect to the internet hmm. and um, so we are now using that also to uh, uh, with the communities hmm. you know 3 years ago when i did a quick round of uh, the villages and f- found a few youngsters and we've been struggling with the youngsters involvement in community development hmm. because we've grown up to do community development and, and uh, there is much more individual orientation hmm. generally asking them what is it that you would like in your village you know the most common answer i got was 4g connectivity hmm. we would like 4g connection in our village correct you know we don't want to go to a hello point to kind yeah. of get connected so hmm. we've been working on you know kind of working with the telecom service hmm. providers but also trying to do some uh, jugad with respect to creating a village wide network mm. so the village is wifi connected mm. and then the internet connection comes once a day when a operator takes a bicycle mm. goes from the village server goes to the network point and then you know kind of sings data between the two so we've been doing such a uh, jugad mm. type of work a lot of our work is on energy is also around uh, renewable energy mm. alternate energy use of solar and uh, you know micro hydro kind of things and now the latest that we want to we've started working on is around um, hydrogeology mm-hmm. understanding the water resources in the Correct. village and yeah. more than technology it's science mm-hmm. and trying to see how we can demystify the signs of water and get communities to kind of get more ownership around their water resources mm-hmm. and look at the you know long term sustainability of availability of water very interesting So you know uh, Libby I have often spoken to so many people and I have often said that this is the generation of the millennials and the gen zs and knowing the demographic profile of our country the entire country has young people mm-hmm. how are the millennials and the gen zs of tribal india or tribal orissa changing uh, the way you work substantially substantially because they despite them being young they are coming to positions of authority in villages hmm. because the elders are realizing that the younger ones have far more knowledge of the world around them and the elders realize that they need to cede space to these youngsters to you know Very so uh, if you look at uh, in the tribal communities where there's a traditional cultural leadership and hmm. the new political leadership the traditional leadership is still with the older people correct but the older people are not getting into uh, the political new leadership because mm. they are allowing the youngsters to do that mm. and that is that is remarkable because the youngsters are able to bring in a new 
a different worldview mm. into the community it has its challenges i mean it's not always possible to you know kind of bring them together and gel them together but correct uh, the youngster i mean the, the fact that the old older people are allowing the youngsters their space mm. which is not exactly what's happening in in you know in our yeah. our society yeah? so that i think is is a big way in which the younger ones are influencing how things are mm. the second is migration so i mean odisha there is this infamy of distress migration mm. but people also coming across uh, large opportunity large number of opportunistic migration where younger people choose to go out to say chennai or parts of kerala work for 2 3 years mm. make some money come back mm. and then they invest this this you know new wealth in improving their uh, kind of and i've been asking them why don't you go and stay in kerala then mm. they say no no but that is not my land my land is here mm. and why are you going because of course i need money and i can't always depend on the government to make things better for me yeah. and that is the other view other thing about how much of they how much do they depend on the government mm. because that is natural in a remote kind of location like that to how much they want to depend on themselves and, and look at opportunities yeah. to do that very interesting so uh, libby i'm going to move to this, the next section of our conversation i have time for a couple of questions for you personally my first question is that you know libby you've doing are you doing so much in terms of giving back you know uh, you've chosen a life of working in some of the remotest parts of india what does success mean to libby well i'm not old enough yet to have arrived at the answer but uh, agree i count the number of nights i go to bed hmm. without regrets hmm. okay regret of any kind did i leave be, because i'm i'm you know as a person i know i'm not very easy to mingle with mm-hmm. a lot of my colleagues actually find it difficult to you know they kind of fear me in mm-hmm. way. so mm-hmm. i've become increasingly conscious of that and mm-hmm. my body language I'm, i'm a heavy set person so mm-hmm. you know my body language often gets Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even my daughter, who is fourteen years old, sometimes says it's very difficult to communicate with you. Right. So for me, uh, you know, many of these factors together. At the end of the day, I ask myself, do I have reason to regret? Mm-hmm. And when I realize that I don't, I think I've had a successful day. Wonderful. That's a great answer. And my last question to you, and this is a question related to failure. um i've often said and i have a new book coming on failure in march uh, that indian parents don't teach children that it's okay to fail we are always told come first come go be in the front of the line etc etc and yet we fail all the time my question to you is what have been your learnings from some of your mistakes or your failures well way too many but uh, i guess i'll recollect one mm-hmm. which came from the work mm-hmm. so um, this is uh, early 2000 2023 mm-hmm. when after the 99 cyclone we were helping uh, uh, coastal communities some of the coastal villages build back mm-hmm. their houses mm-hmm. i was young and you know wanted to do a lot of stuff and then right. i realized that the project wasn't everybody else realized that the project wasn't going well mm-hmm. and all of a sudden i found myself removed from that responsibility i i see it for a long time yeah. i was 
And then uh, one day, a very senior colleague of mine called me aside and said, uh, "Libby, do you know why you were removed?" Mm-hmm. I said, "No, I think you know somebody didn't like me or whatever." I was shouting too much. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, "You are too soft when you go to the field." Okay. If you want to do work with communities of this kind, mm-hmm. then you have to be like a coconut. Okay. The world need not see how soft you are inside. Mm-hmm. And this I realized was very true because I was going around making promises, making a, giving assurances, which I didn't really think about. You know what mm-hmm. is the What is the effect of this? I mean, I wanted probably I wanted to be Mr. Nice, correct? And I wanted to be, or I I was I was just trying to be nice, and mm. people had genuine difficulties, and you know, you are an outsider trying to do good. So, so this to me, that project was one of the biggest failures in my life in terms of I mean, some of the effects of that. This still continue mm. because mm. the promises I made and then which are wrong promises. So I I still have to live with that, but. This lesson there of being like a coconut and not being like a mango. Hmm. The mango is pulpy outside, hard inside. Hmm. The coconut is hard outside, but soft, soft inside. inside. You know, I mean, so that's that's been kind of the you know Very kind of guiding principles. Very interesting, Libby. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I wish you, Gram Vikas, and everything that you're doing, lots of luck. Thank you, Ashutosh, and I must say the remarkable work that you're doing, profiling stories and experiences of this kind. I hope it continues, and you know, wish you the very best ahead. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Video Cast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.